And welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock waiting with you here on another Wednesday night. We have a big show ahead. We are going to be going through Dynamite. We're going to be taking your feedback. We have news to discuss. But let us not waste any time. We have a T-shirt to give away. Yeah. Uh, I'm just forget like the draw, whatever. I'm just going to pick somebody right now because I don't want to waste any time. Congratulations to Al Smith from London. The city of London. Congratulations to you, Al Smith. You win a t-shirt. But I don't want to waste any time because I want to inform everybody that even if you are not uh, a winner of this weekly giveaway, even if you're not a patron of our weekly t-shirt giveaway, you can take advantage of a hefty sale we've got going on right at this moment at store.postwrestling.com. We've got a Black Friday sale that starts right now. 25% off any item in the store, including t-shirts, toques, hats. Everything is 25% off for from now until uh, over the course of the weekend. So for five days, 25% off everything using, John, what checkout code? Well, it is uh, Thanksgiving in the U.S., and it's a, it's a time to look back. Uh, pilgrims have a very big uh, historical uh, contribution to this holiday. So our code is Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, one word, S-C-O-T-T-P-I-L-G-R-I-M. So uh, store.postwrestling.com, 25% off. All right. So there you go. And, of course, all Post Wrestling Cafe members automatically entered into this draw to win a prize every week here on Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday night. So Cafe members, your time will come. Your name will get drawn out of the hat one day. All right. Let us get into the news today. Uh, we're going to start off with... Uh, someone who was not there on Wednesday night at NXT, that being Moro Ronaldo, which we had reported on Tuesday night he would not be there. In his place was Tom Phillips, and he called the match, or the show, uh, rather, with Nigel McGuinness and Beth Phoenix. And that's kind of the only update in that regard. And now it's uh, a question of, you know, will Moro be back next week? Uh, Corey Graves did go on his podcast today, and did deliver an apology. He did mention off the top of his show, he said, on a personal note, I need to address something. This past Saturday during the NXT TakeOver War Games event, I sent out a tweet. It was an unpopular opinion, as I often do, with the intention of just stirring up a little controversy. Maybe have something fun to talk about on TV or here on the show. It was maybe not the most professional way to go about things, and it was never meant to offend or disrespect or disparage anybody. That was never my intention. If it was taken as such, I apologize deeply. That was not my intention. I would never intentionally cause anybody any undue stress, especially a coworker. So I apologize. End quote. If that's what he said. I mean, it was pretty much it all. That was pretty much the only reference, I believe, to the situation at the beginning of the show. Um, I mean, listening to it, I think it was evident that um, the way it came across, and then this is not necessarily an indicator of maybe how he actually feels, but the way it comes across is that it feels somewhat of a forced apology, you know, like he had to get these words out because people were expecting him to say something about it. Um, 
certainly it read, I, I think, according to maybe a lot of uh, the response online, as a response that was um, not really an apology, but then him saying, if you're offended by something I said, then I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, so that's where the situation lies. So, I mean, he addressed it. And I mean, listen, th- this guy has gotten, I mean, I just see it in my comments. Like it is just vitriol that is being thrown at Corey Graves. And I know that there are some people that are going to feel, well, he he made his bed here by uh, tweeting out those things, not taking down the tweets. I still, I, I, I don't feel comfortable like looking at that, that that's necessarily the answer is to just torpedo a guy, even though I, I think he was in the wrong here um, for sending out those tweets. Um, I will I, say can, though. Can I just say it? Yes. Like, I think taking down the tweet at this point is pretty meaningless. You know, it's like it's out there. Whether it's up or it's down, I don't think makes a difference at all. I guess not. You're right. I, I mean, it, it would seem to be that at least taking it down would be a sign that it was a mistake on his part. That, I mean, you're right. It's, it's out there. Whether they're up or not, it's like everyone knows that they were tweeted out and they're there. I will say, though, and it's... You know, the the vast majority of people that I have seen comments from, you know, I think are largely understanding of this situation. But, you know, Morrow talked about a lot in his documentary about smashing the stigma. And one thing is very clear. It's that this stigma is still very much there. If this guy had come down with an illness, if he had suffered some injury of some sort that precluded him uh, his his body from getting to Orlando to do this, there would be no questions asked. There would be absolutely nothing. If this guy had come down with the flu, a signal that your body is shutting down and you have to tend to your body, that would not be questioned of someone not being able to do their job. And it's still something that when we cannot see something, suddenly that's like uh, dealing with mental illness is something that somehow – you're just supposed to power through and you just flip that switch and you're supposed to go to work. And I think we're still, I, I mean, I, I don't want to you know, be on my soapbox here because this is not the overwhelming response, but it is some of the response to it of people that I just don't think understand the complexity of this situation and mental health that, you know, Moro is not someone that this just came out of nowhere over the weekend. This is, a struggle that he goes through and he had been going to work dealing with his existing issues. And this guy does get comments on Twitter from people lots and lots of times. And that is not precluding him from doing his work. So I just find it to be, um, I, I just think people trying to look at this, that somehow you're weak because you are not able that, that a tweet and suddenly you don't go to work and simplifying it to that degree. Uh, I I just feel that there's still um, a big gap when it comes to understanding mental illness, because I don't think the, the, this generation is fully there yet. Although many are, many can see this, but there's still a gap. Yeah, right. I think mm, it's, I think there's still a lot of education, certainly um, about, about everything that we're talking about. But in, in particular with Moro's case, I mean, the man tweeted out himself that the night after takeover that he was hoping 
that his anxiety and depression wouldn't get the best of it because he was enjoying his show so much coming off of that, that high of that, that excellent takeover. And so, um, you have to understand, you know, at all times, I think how fragile of a state he might be in, um, especially, you know, after a show night, uh, he is incredibly self-critical or can be incredibly self-critical as many people in his, in his profession can be. Um, so this, whether or not, you know, Corey Graves uh, had any, certainly I don't think Corey Graves intended for this to happen, but it would, it just happened to be, I think, you know, probably a major thing that, that really set off perhaps a chain of events that, you know, he was hoping to avoid. Um, and, and again, I can't really speak for him. Uh, maybe Morrow at some point can, we'll talk about it himself when, when he feels better about it. But, um, it's, it's certainly, I think a much more complicated issue than just somebody getting upset over one tweet, I think. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that that's just it. It's it's a lot deeper than that, and um, for someone that you know str- struggles at the best of times. So um, that that's really all to say about this story. Morrow was not there on Wednesday. We'll see if he's back next week, and um, it, it's an ongoing story. Uh, moving on from that, um, we have some other news items uh, to get to from uh, today. Starting off with. Uh, did you get to see any of NWA Power on Tuesday night? This was certainly a different episode from them. We we had heard that there was going to be one floater episode that may or may not air, and it appears this was it this week, where it was no matches in front of the crowd. They did a lot of um, – it was just all pre-produced interviews. They did an empty arena match, and the big announcement was the main event for the next pay-per-view, but – no mention of the Jim Cornette issue, nor was there any Jim Cornette on this show. Yeah, I I didn't really sit down to watch the episode in full. I more so actually scrubbed through it just to kind of see the gist of like what I was missing. Uh, primarily, I was looking to see, you know, how if there'd be any mention, I think, of, of the Cornette situation. You know, you and I had talked about perhaps maybe that they would take that space in the countdown portion of the show to have a have a discourse with the audience. It, it just seemed like a show that was pretty much, you know, um, uh, I don't know if it's ignoring or, or just more so maybe convenient, conveniently putting this particular episode stemming off of, I think, such a hot topic from last episode. I don't know what the order of these shows were supposed to be, whether or not this was planned beforehand. Um, but yeah, like you said, no mention of the Cornette stuff. I was also curious to know if Cornette would have any presence at all on the show. And even in the one match that they did air, which was a empty arena match. Unless there was another match, am I am I forgetting something? There was no. Little... He was just just the empty. They had the empty arena match that Joe Galli called. That Joe Galli called. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if there are still episodes left remaining with Jim Cornette's commentary, I mean, obviously, you know, he'll. he'll... Which you would think next week's episode, it's going to have matches from the tapings, like unless yeah. they revoice them. Yeah. Um, you would think, and there's got to be on cameras with them. I mean, I guess you could edit around. Jim Cornette, if you really don't want him to be on the, the episode next week, but that's certainly a lot of extra work. It's a lot of extra work. I mean, who you know, he is on set. So like, who knows, like if some of the camera shots are, you know, if he's actually caught there, I, I don't even know if it's, that's, if it's even something they're actually considering or, or if they'll just say, Hey, like we got two more episodes left, let's just do this. And then, you know, we'll start fresh. But I, I certainly, you know, if this was a calculated decision to air this particular clip show coming off of last week i certainly don't think it was a bad idea at all you know maybe give give a break from the audience so that because inevitably like i was even scrolling through some of the chat everything was 
like the live chat as YouTube was, is, streams the show. Everything, it was all Cornette. Everything's about Jim Cornette. So, yeah. you know, it's- which to that to that side, I I thought your idea was a very sound one to address it off the top. It doesn't dominate the show. It's done in the countdown special and it's just it's on everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. So, I think the fact that we haven't seen Billy Corgan or David Lagana on camera addressing the situation. This is not some pre-written statement. This is just the two people speaking as the representatives of the NWA. All it needs is 60 seconds at the beginning of the show. I think it's just, you know, typically it's addressing the elephant in the room. It's on everyone's mind. Let's at least address it. We're not going to just uh, appear like we're trying to avoid what is on everyone's mind. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, so uh, remains to be seen. You know, maybe it's just something at this point they prefer to just sweep under the rug. So what what, what kind of what kind of effect has this story had on, you know, the, the momentum relative to the scale that the NWA was at? Like, do you feel that this has really curbed that kind of enthusiasm that had come around for NWA power each week and going into this pay-per-view? Do you think that this has soured people on this product or do you feel that this was, you know, an unfortunate event that those that were following the product are still going to? It's it's interesting to think about. I mean, without real ratings other than viewership numbers to go by, it's, it's kind of hard to say for sure. I could tell you for myself personally, I think I was getting to a point where I really had to like, you know, be a, bit, a lot more judicious about how much how I was spending my TV time, uh, especially on a Tuesday. And, you know, we'll get to maybe a different topic about uh, what else aired on Tuesday that had more of my interest this week. But um, I, I think you're talking a throwback about- throwdown. Uh, that was, yes, the IPW, the Impact Provincial Wrestling Federation. Did you see any of it? I, I saw most of it. Yeah, it was, I thought it you was. You saw most of it. Oh, wow. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. And it really kind of crept up because I didn't really know it was happening. Um, let, let me just finish my thought on, on yeah, yeah, Howard. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because, yeah. um, you know, we're talking about a, a time now where wrestling fans are looking for any excuse to hop off. You know, especially if you're not AEW or NXT like if you're Raw or SmackDown or any of these other, you know, smaller promotions, it's a hard fight to get people to even pay attention to you. So um, something like this happening to, to power could potentially really hurt them. But I, I feel like everybody is very much aware that this is not a problem with any of the talent involved who work really hard. More so a problem with one commentator. And you can certainly place the blame on, on the producers of the show as well for letting something like this go. But I personally don't feel like um, they, you know, I think people will still give them a chance. And certainly by the time that pay-per-view comes around, if it's a show that really nails it out of the park, I, I don't, I think they could certainly recover from, from the bad press. Um, yeah, Impact uh, Provincial Wrestling Federation. This was something I had no idea that that was even in store. I knew about the tapings that were taking place because it was in Mississauga, not too far from here. But I didn't realize that it was for like a special edition of Impact Wrestling. And what event essentially this was, was like a full two-hour edition of like South Paul Regional Wrestling, but with Impact's roster. So you had a show shot at the Don Kolov Arena, which is, of course, uh, Santino Morello's Battle, Battle Arts Academy. Very small, intimate venue. And everybody came out as like 80s gimmicks with completely different looks, different characters. You had commentators with, with different names. Um, Sexton Hardcastle was Don Callis's 
alias. That's right. Yeah. And everybody, you know, just dressing up as like kind of like, you know, they're like over the top cheesy 80s gimmicks. And I think on the surface, this could have been like just a real head grown. A lot of people might have actually felt that way. I don't know how you felt about it, John. We haven't talked about it yet because, you know, like Southpaw is interesting for like 10 minutes. Can you do a whole two hour thing with it? Um, I don't know if they could go multiple weeks with it, but like for a one-off special for two, two, uh, you know, uh, two hours, I was tremendously entertained. And I thought you got to see a brand new side of a lot of these different performers and their own creativity and looked like they were having the time of their lives doing it. So I, I thought it was a home run. I, I think I, I thought the talent came off like they, they had a great time doing this. I think that this was a wise idea for impact because they are, they're just struggling to be able to grab people's attention. So I think you do need out of the box thinking like this for an episode that typically their Thanksgiving week episode is the one where someone ends up in the Turkey suit or they're doing the, the gravy boat deal. Like it's, it's always a silly throwaway show this year. They made it something that you were kind of curious to see how it would come off. I've only seen the first hour of the episode. I didn't see the entire thing. I will say by like 45 minutes in, I kind of felt like I had gotten my fill of what they were trying to do. And then the rascals came out as uh, building uh, <laughs> gymnasium racetrack and, race and gymnasium. <laughs> and they were awesome. I like racetrack doing his entrance coming down. And then you had the uh, the Rough Riders. Yes. Uh, so you've got. Jessica Havoc, Alexia Nicole, Tessa Blanchard, and Jordan Grace as a female version of the Horsemen. And their promo from earlier, it was just so hilarious to watch them do a Horseman promo down to Jessica Havoc inviting all the men back to their hotel after the the show. Mm -hmm. And that's what I got up to on the show. I I wouldn't say home run. I I don't think – this – wasn't as much up my alley as maybe it was yours, but I certainly appreciated a lot of the creativity. The guys and women certainly seem to be in on this a lot. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know how much the crowd was necessarily into like this. Sure. This read to me like this hour, like some of the names and the references like this to me was Don Callis and Scott Demore's like their episode to write for all of their friends from their era of Canadian independent wrestling and and i think that there's certainly people that probably love this from just for a one week thing i i i would never want to discourage that like this kind of thinking because i thought it was a worthwhile idea to do yeah yeah i i mean i think the audience there i don't know how much they were expecting and and really some of these gags really had to come across i think with graphics because you couldn't really you couldn't necessarily hear some of these names or, or I suppose the joke is not as impactful part in the pun, you know, until you actually see it until you see some of the backstage skits that they shot. Um, I, I have a feeling though, now that this precedent is set, wherever they choose to record this next year, I think the audience will be perhaps a lot more in on the joke or at least, you know, more, more uh, be more willing to participate because they, they know exactly what's going on. I, I don't, I completely don't, you know, disagree with you that maybe beyond, you know, an hour of this, it can lead to a little bit too much. 
However, I I I say it's a home run simply because it got me to pay attention to impact a full two hours. Well, that tells me it. I I can't remember the last time you and I like I I do watch impact every week, but it it rarely comes up. We don't get any calls about it. We yeah. and I know you do not make it a priority. So the fact that you went out of your way to watch this that was to me the the goal of this was just to get some people to come and check out impact and maybe it's it's something that sparks their interest the graphical presentation was fantastic i mean yes. it, like it looked at a level of old school that i wish nwa powered power would have had that that would have really completed its look i thought they they kind of hit that parody really well and you know above all i just thought it really showcased the creativity of this really talented roster you know at a time where we see plenty of wrestling shows where guys are told to to play certain gimmicks or maybe they're playing somebody's version of their own gimmicks. This was just everybody like, you know, obviously being very being very hands on with whatever characters that they were creating or, or I don't know, collaborating to, to create. Uh, so anyway, if you see this week's episode of Impact, it's, it's totally different. And I I would encourage you just to check it out, even if it's just for a portion of the show to see uh, if it works for you or if it didn't. Uh, Mike Kanellis did an interview, his first interview since he had requested his release from WWE. This was with Bill Matt and Kevin Keenan on the Smarks and Stripes podcast. And uh, our man Andrew Thompson went through. We, we, have, we have a number of people, I guess, who can be categorized as our man in our world. We have a lot of men, that's, yes. That's our faction. Sure. Um, but anyway, Andrew Thompson did a great job uh, transcribing this. You can see it up on the site at postwrestling.com. And... Really what comes away is that uh, Mike Bennett is not looking to rock the boat in any way. He just wants to wrestle, and he was not coming on this show to say anything negative about WWE or to put pressure on them to let him go. He said if they called me tomorrow and wanted to put him on TV, he'd be absolutely ready to do it. And he understands why he hasn't been released, knowing that you know other places may want him. WWE doesn't want to drop him. So... He's in this weird he, – he's in where Luke Harper was a number of months ago where he's just been iced since asking for his release. And it's a really frustrating spot to be in. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it's pretty novel that we we get to hear some, from somebody, like talk to you know, and, and a website or a podcast about you know ex- exactly what they're going through while they're pretty much kind of in this weird limbo of not being used on TV while at the same time having kind of shot your shot – publicly telling the world that you want to be out of this company. Um, I don't see him being somebody that, you know, WWE really has that much reason to to release unless they just, you know, said uh, anybody like, unless they made a whole effort to just like change their policy and say like, okay, like Luke Harper, you're expendable. Goodbye. Mike Canellis, you want to go? Goodbye. Sin Cara. See you later. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, at the same time, like I also try to think about like what Mike Canellis is hoping to achieve by even doing an interview like this, you know, is it to drum up public interest so that by the time he does leave, he, he has a little level of hype. Is it to just, or is it just like him wanting to get things off of his chest because, you know, uh, somebody doing a podcast wanted to talk to him and friends of his too. Friends I mean, of his, right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know if there was like necessarily, um, a chess play behind this, the deciding to do an interview because, you know, he didn't say it. If anything, this comes across as a guy that wasn't pushing for his release at all in this interview. It sounds like a guy that just wants to go back to work. Right. So 
knowing that, hey, I have a contract. I haven't been released. Um, I want to be used. And that was about it. So I don't know. It's It, it seems to me like with, with WWE in these situations, it's it's kind of hard when they're trying to say, we don't want to release you, but we also don't want to use you. It's sort of, to me, it kind of is on the company to make one decision. Like either he's under contract and he's working for you or he's expendable. But it can't be both because I think that's pretty unfair to the talent that's just standing there waiting. And I mean, granted, there's a contract. WWE can essentially do whatever they want, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's it is easy to sympathize with the performer that, hey, just one way or the other, give me an answer. This indifference is doing nobody any good. That's where the argument is though, right? You know, the man did sign a contract. You know, somebody you could be a player and you if you signed a contract and you're benched for the whole season because you're not playing up to a you know whatever standard that I think your coach wants like you're you don't really have that much you know uh room for argument you're you're getting paid like legally the you know morally or just I don't know to to be nice I guess you can make the argument that yeah why wouldn't you use a guy who's talented and wants to go but um I don't know I I don't know if I have that much sympathy I think for for Mm, anybody who just wants to be used and isn't, but also wants their release these days. I mean, every case is different. Right. I, I would say that certainly, you know, the the terms that we're seeing now with these contracts that are getting signed, uh, Lana was, was the latest one that uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet just reported this week, are five-year terms. And I would be, I'd be really cautious to sign like that, that amount of time in your career at this point, not knowing, especially if it's, it's one thing if you're like the Miz, for instance, who just resigned. It's like, okay, five years. I think, you know, Miz knows where his role is, where he's established. But if I'm Mike Bennett, if I'm, if I, if I'm somebody that's, you know, five years, that's a long time to tie yourself to of, just there's a financial security, but if you're someone like Mike Bennett, that it sounds like wrestling and being featured is something of importance and value to you. Uh, you are running that risk by tying yourself for such a, a long amount of term at that point. And, and that's where I think ultimately people look at Bennett that, you know, it's not like you signed this deal years ago. You just signed this deal. And, you know, the die had kind of been cast. Like I think everyone knew where Mike Bennett was kind of slotted at, at that point. And like he couldn't necessarily be shocked that afterwards it was like he was in a relatively similar role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh or worse. Um which I kind well, of Well now like. it's nothing. Now he's got no role. So he is in a yeah. worse spot now. Uh, I think that's debatable, John. Would you rather be not on TV at all or would you rather have the cuck angle? Dude, he defended this angle. He was oh, you know, it, it, it is always amazing when people do use the argument of, you know, it's fake. It's not real. But, you know, it's if, – if you're upset about your position on the card, well, it's – you know, people get upset about where they are slotted on, on the card, and then it's very real to them. But, you know, obviously, this guy was not going to trash anything WWE-related. Um, was he – a big fan of this angle, I, w- I would have a hard time imagining it. And whether he is or not, he lost his angle. It's now been moved to Rusev. So um, right. anyway, we'll see. Do, do you expect 
that we will see Mike Bennett uh, have a WWE match before WrestleMania. I definitely think that there's a role for him in some sort of greatest Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia or just some sort of generic battle royal or an episode of main event. Yeah, or 205 if that still exists. I, I do think that there will you, be. You would think if he's not even being utilized on 205 Live now. Right. Like, what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's frustrating. I, 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 I sympathize in the fact that you know he's a guy. He's not getting any younger. These are these are years that you, if if you have a real passion for this, you're just sitting. You're just sitting at home and not doing anything right now. And you just want to see some kind of action. It's like either use me or don't. But just being at home or or just sitting and not not doing any wrestling matches. That's got to be frustrating if this is your vocation. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, at the same time, I, I mean, I I feel like he's probably not the only person in that roster who wants to let it be known that they want to be used better. I mean, other people are going about it a different way, though. Um, and so I just I guess in the end, I wonder if, if you know, this sort of uh, this sort of um, maybe uh, attempt to grab attention will ultimately help or hurt him. Or, or you have guys like Mojo Raleigh who probably very much likely are, you know, want to be used a lot more on TV as well. Maybe just kind of, you know, express that in behind the scenes rather than publicly. All right. And just a few ratings notes before we get into Dynamite. Raw did 2,109,000 viewers. This was their second lowest number this year and one of their lowest in years. The uh, the only ones lower were the show from that was taped in England two weeks ago, and then the shows from last Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. So that's kind of the the ballpark of numbers that they're beating at this point. Um, the big surprise was that the first hour was not big, so there was really no no bump from the pay per view on Sunday, and that's what's kind of dragged down the raw number. Is that typically the pattern would be you'd you'd get a, a sizable first hour. Now the first hour, it's kind of come down, so you don't have that first hour to boost up the average. So people are tuning in typically for the first two hours. There's very little decrease in the second hour, and then your big drop occurs in the third hour. And that's what we're continuing to see, and we're now kind of hitting this level of 2.1 to 2.2 million viewers is kind of the range we're looking at. But coming off the pay-per-view, I guess that was somewhat surprising. They didn't get any, any kind of bump there. Yeah, that is surprising to me. Makes me wonder if it's just a symptom of the time, symptom of maybe Raw itself not being of that much interest, or, or do you think the result of the pay-per-view might have had anything to do with it? I think it's overall the the overall interest in Raw. I don't I don't think the Survivor Series necessarily helped, but I have a hard time imagining it. It it really hurt it either. But you know, I'll say this: if we were not doing what we were doing, and I was just a a wrestling viewer. And I know I've got a couple hours a week free to watch wrestling. Coming out of that pay-per-view, I want to see NXT. That is the show I want to see. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how much follow-up there was on the Raw side that I'm sitting down for a couple of hours to see the follow-up to. There wasn't any really big cliffhanger on the Raw side. You were kind of told that you know we're going back to the brands being their own shows, so I'm not going to see any NXT talent. I'm very interested to see how tonight's show does for NXT because they were treated tremendously on that weekend. And I would think that maybe people are just – they want to see this show and this follow-up because it had the more compelling characters. 
I felt the same way myself watching uh, Survivor Series. But a note on on the Thursday or Wednesday night ratings. We're not going to get those until later. That's right. That's right. They won't be out till. Well, it's Thanksgiving, so I, I don't know if they'll be out Friday. Or it might. It might even be Monday. Okay. So anyway, yeah, ratings will be delayed, everyone. So, uh, and then the other one backstage on Tuesday night, one hundred and twenty-one thousand viewers down from last week's number of one hundred and eighty thousand. Uh, no CM Punk this week. Uh, I did not see any of the show save for a Spinneroonie contest, which I just saw a clip of as you and I were recording Ask Away last night. And I was just like, wh- what is CM Punk doing on this show was my immediate question that I was asking. What is Samoa and, Joe doing on this show? That's what I was yeah, asking. But I, d- I don't know. It was actually um like pretty much like a direct, you know, copy of, of what they did with – um. Like the clip that they showed of the Undertaker on that Steve Austin podcast, when like like in a dark segment they <laughs> they tried to like um, get the Undertaker to do the spinneroni, and he he they, he wouldn't do it for like an hour or something like that. But um, I believe like I didn't see it either. I only saw the clip, but I believe the show ended in a cliffhanger where Joe got down on his knees, looked at his hand, but then it faded to black. So did he ever complete the spinneroni? I don't know. Tune in next week. Yeah, I think it was a mistake not having Punk on for this second episode. Again, just to get people into the habit of tuning into this episode. Really, I think they needed a draw of a similar level. Obviously, you can't replicate, you know, CM Punk. But I would say maybe a story or a guest or, you know, something to kind of like hit on that same audience who who are tuning in for the first time because I think they are looking for an authentic voice. And there was no indication from any of the previews that you're really going to get that for this particular edition of Backstage. And, you know, twenty that to me, that it, that's a big drop. And I feel like if CM Punk is not going to be around next week, I think that number is going to be even lower because you're they're really other than like seeing Samoa Joe do a spin around Rooney. Like what other incentive do do any of us have to tune into that program? Yeah, you would think that, you know, if Punk's appearances are going to be so limited you would think like the post pay-per-view would be a good show to try and have him on. But again, you're you're working with around his schedule as well. So I, I don't even know like how often he's going to be on this show. Is it going to be bi-weekly? Will it be, you know, just sporadic? Um yeah, I think that's going to kind of dictate the number. And I do see we are going to get to a point where I don't know if CM Punk being on this style of show, it, if people are really going to set aside an hour on Tuesday nights to watch it. Like maybe you know, if it was 180,000 last week, I'm not expecting that level for his second appearance. Me neither. Unless it's, you know, contingent on a really compelling topic that people are going to be driven to tune into. But I'm, I am I don't get the sense with WWE backstage that that's going to be the MO of the show, to be going after those kinds of topics that are going to drive people to, wow, I wonder how they're going to handle this. Mm-hmm. So... The way we're going to handle this is by reviewing AEW Dynamite from the Sears Center Arena on Wednesday night, Schaumburg, Illinois, the site of All In and the site of All Out, which got uh, it has now been memor- memorialized by uh, with a banner in the Sears Center Arena. I saw that. Yeah, they've got a banner. They've got a plaque. Do you think they got something? Maybe maybe a New York Rangers jersey from tonight's uh, show will be plastered in the. Uh, the hallowed halls of the Sears Center Arena. After that performance from Ted Irvin, I would I would throw it up there. Yeah. Retire that thing. So let me repeat. Today's date, Wednesday, November 27th, 2019. And if I was to tell you 
<laughs> way that in 2019, all elite wrestling was going to open up in their return to the Sears Center. And the first visual is Soul Train Jones. <laughs> I've been like, John, <laughs> you're fucked. I would, I would ask you who Soul Train Jones was. Um, the guy who has uh, been revitalized by Chris Jericho. That's who Soul Train Jones is. Soul Train Jones, the uh, otherwise known as Virgil. If you're not watching AEW, everybody. He is now Soul Train Jones. I think he is yeah. now more going to be more famous as Soul Train Jones. It's a tough task, but yeah, sure. So he's in the ring, and we, we're going to have the this Chris Jericho uh, uh, thank you celebration. And this place is all decked out, including a giant wrapped up box that everyone just sets their eyes on. And Virgil... Soul Train Jones, my mistake, calls it the greatest night in television history. And then you have never seen a man battle so hard to get out the name Chris Jericho, but he finally did. Well, um, I mean, it kind of worked either way. He says, uh, Jericho comes out. There's a big thank you, Jericho chant it, until he tells. Is Virgil like the new Festus? Is, is that what we're dealing with now? Ralphus. Oh, Ralphus, yes. Ralphus? He, he, that, that's what I felt like. I think that he's going to be like the Klingon to the inner circle. Right. Okay, awesome. And Jericho tells the crowd to shut up, and then he introduces his little bit of the bubbly champagne that him and Stephen Amell are now selling under Stephen Amell's wine label. And I got oh, a I press release for this. I way. didn't know Stephen Amell was a part of this. Wow, yes. what a what a hustler! Damn. See, I I watched the first uh, fifteen minutes of NXT, so I was late starting AEW. So before I even start, I get a press release in my inbox. Chris Jericho, the world champion of AEW, and Stephen Amell, star of the CW superhero series Arrow, and founder of Knocking Point Wines, have teamed up to create a little bit of the bubbly. The new official sparkling wine of AEW. Okay, so this is sparkling wine. I thought, isn't isn't uh, bubbly supposed to be champagne? Well, we, we're we're going the sparkling wine direction. Well, it, it is two two for forty six dollars, so I guess they have to make it affordable. Yes. Uh, a little bit of the bubbly. It, oh, here's here's the uh, a little bit of the bubbly is a sparkling Riesling. Produced exclusively by Knocking Point Wines in collaboration with Chris Jericho. There you go. Brilliant. Like, it, I thought this worked out so well. I wanted one of these. But I went on the website and it was, it, it, of course, it crashed. I, I'm so, not surprised. By, by not the surprised. time, by, by the, later on in the show, you, you could uh, arrive there. But, you know, it was that plus the mention that limited supply, like limited quantities are made. I mean, I don't doubt that, the, like, by this point, the whole thing will probably be sold out. Yeah, you can go uh, – forget two bottles for 46 way. You can go six bottles for a 138 or 12 bottles for 276. It's – Have a party. Dude, it's it's maddening. Like at this point, they could sell anything like with, with their logo or their face on it. Um, but I mean you really have to come in like how much they've taken advantage of this, you know, really un, <laughs> un – you know, un, like – it was never planned for this to be a meme, and yet, you know, like here we are, where I'm sure they'll they'll make a nice profit from whatever this wine is. We'll sell, dude. 
I, I don't know what it is, but watching this inner circle segment at the start, the amount of different t-shirt ideas and different merchandise ideas, like they're just oh, you had falling wrestling. out of the sky for these guys to trademark and sell. Well, you had pro wrestling tees right in the front row. I'm sure they were all taking <laughs> notes. Oh, yes, they were well represented in the front row. Yeah. So the inner circle joins Jericho. Sammy Guevara presents a, a, a cardboard cutout of Jericho and Guevara hugging together with just the greatest look on their faces. I wanted that, too. Like I, I, I just wanted to spend all my money after this. Ortiz and Santana got him a Bariqua gift basket, including uh, taking uh, some cold medication with the punchline at the end. He just, uh, you had Ortiz just like zipping through this, and at the end, no more cold. And the crowd went nuts for this. Then they pulled out some alcohol in a brown paper bag, a little bit of the foily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's a little bit of the 40, John. Um. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Then they put a bandana on Chris Jericho. To make him an official Bariqua. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought that, that this was fantastic. You know, everybody got to show got to show a bit of their personality. It, I mean, there were a lot of his Hispanic mother jokes that, I mean, I didn't really didn't really hit me like completely, obviously, but it hit a lot of this audience. And I I I think it really tells you like this is an authentic, you know, written by themselves sort of segment, which I really appreciate. You know what? And I was not the only person to notice this, and I'm going to defend myself uh, a little bit to my flub here. It was at times very hard to hear these people. I heard some complaints about that. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice it myself. Like, you mean like of the audio quality? Yes. Like, and it was like a combination, like the crowd was very loud and like, it was just, it was just tough to hear at like different points here. Right. Um. Yeah. So... Maybe I had uh, drank too much foily, though. <laughs> I think we should start marketing that. That's our drink. I swear to God, that's what <laughs> I wrote here. Makes a lot more sense when you uh, decoded it for me. Yeah. So anyway, I, I thought like he was referring to like uh, maybe this was like, like the slang for wrapping? like the, the what the what it was uh, the bag it was in. Like a foil bag. I don't know. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I really swung and missed on this one, and I'm just trying to backtrack as best I can. So um, it's okay, John. We'll we'll be starting our Patreon only 40 review podcast very soon because I I sense this was a Captain America moment that we can surely take advantage of, like we did the we last should. time. We should. We should. Let's let's start thinking about it. We'll we'll review um, old English of alcohol. Yep. Yeah, old English first. Jake Hag. Okay, and <laughs> Jake Hager's not in the ring. And Chris starts asking him, where's Hager? And Jake Hager is like, this dude, this guy's a fucking heavyweight. And he's just struggling to pull this fucking goat into the arena. And for the first time we hear him talk, uh, I, I guess we shouldn't because he said he was sorry last week on Jericho's behalf. And he says, this is Chris Jerigoat, which is 100% going to be a shirt. Got a big laugh in my household. So, oh, yeah. Th th this arena went nuts. Like, the laughs here were very loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, very uncharacteristic in a wrestling environment. Like, getting this amount of laughs. And then they ask, who's in the big box? 
And JR asks if Abdullah might be inside. And they reveal Ted Irvin in a New York Rangers jersey. And he says it's (laughs) – and this guy had been sitting in there for God knows how long. This is like 15 minutes into the show and however long they had set this this all up in the ring. So he says it's great to be back in New York City. But then just runs down the Chicago Blackhawks being brutal. And you could see like he was very nervous here. Jericho had to like remind him of his line about Bobby Hull. And then goes on and calls them all wimps on the Blackhawks. And then he presents them all with New York Rangers jerseys and says how uh, all of the Blackhawks sucked and the crowd chants Rangers suck <laughs> as they're putting on their jerseys. So this segment was just something else. Ted Irvin, I thought, stole the show here. I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think he's he's ever had a speaking role on a WWE um, segment. And so this, to me, was already a holy shit moment seeing Chris Jericho's dad talk. But not only did he make an appearance, not only did he speak, but the man played a tremendous cocky heel talking about the Rangers and running down the Blackhawks and Bobby Hall. I, I, I thought that was amazing. And I would certainly love to see him reprise this role at some point. Hopefully he Toronto. Was... <laughs> he was very funny here. I don't think he's been used in like a wrestling segment since like Nitro. Like over 20 years ago. I don't even remember that. He he definitely did a segment with Jericho on, on Nitro once. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Then they bring Justin Roberts in to read the letter from the TNT Brass and this is where they get to ask Justin where he's from. He's from nearby Arlington Heights, which gets a big pop. Then he mentions his high school, which gets a very mixed reaction. And then Jericho said the school sucks. Roberts reads the thank you letter. Jericho didn't like Roberts' tone, so they beat the hell out of Justin Roberts. As Excalibur, right next to Jim Ross, asks, who beats up someone in their hometown? Huh. And then... He was saved by the marching band that was SCU in disguise, and they could only get their hands on Soul Train Jones, who was laid out. I don't know. Like, does Kaz usually do the Cobra Clutch? Or or did he specifically try to apply the Million Dollar Dream to Virgil? I think that's that was what he was going for here. He knew that this could be effective on Virgil. That was his weakness. Got it. I thought this was magnificent. You know, I was actually disappointed by SCU's arrival because it, it meant that the segment was ending and I was having so much fun. You know, of course, this brings to mind segments like the Festival of Friendship or This Is Your Life. I thought it it absolutely hit like the the heights of some of the best of those particular segments, but with comedy that I felt was a lot more personal and maybe even a little bit more sophisticated that seemed to be written for like by the wrestlers themselves. And I thought everybody had a chance to really showcase some of that personality, including uh, Pride and Proud and Powerful. Um, and again, I thought Ted Irvin just stole the show. Like they were so entertaining by the end. I felt like in this episode, SCU had a lot to overcome to make the crowd like them more than they like Jericho by this point. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I still think like they're able to maintain their, their, their role as heels because as soon as Jericho shuts down the crowd, they turn on him and they had Ted Irvin in their back pocket as well to just run down the team, but in such a, a unique and fun way to run down the sports team rather than just the standard usual insults that, but like this group is just so entertaining in these mm-hmm. segments. And I'm sure 
when they take over being the elite on Monday, that that's going to be like hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, I like I, I thought this would have been perfect had like SCU come out and did something equally as cool. You know, like last week I felt, you know, Jericho was really entertaining, but like you had Scorpio Sky come out and just cut this badass promo. I felt like this segment was perhaps missing that just to kind of add that extra, you know, reminder that, hey, the person challenging Chris Jericho for the belt is also just as cool. But, you know, obviously Inner Circle are the main products. They're the ones that are going to continue, like, you know, that you're going to merchandise and, and make a shit ton of money from coming out of after this week. So I don't blame them putting this way. Like, I really can't complain about a segment that was this entertaining. It was it was a lot of fun. No Tony Schiavone tonight. He's in Hawaii with the Georgia Bulldogs. So Jim Ross is with Excalibur. And they introduce Marco Solis Martinez, who is on the all elite fleet at State Farm Insurance. And he was going to sit in. And I will say about two minutes into this match where he was on commentary, I was like, there is no way this guy is going to. I thought he was going to be there for the whole show. This was a terrible idea. Absolutely this was terrible. It was awful. Yeah. Like, this guy was so nervous. Uh, I, felt, I don't know I what being on the. Guy. I did too. I didn't understand. Like, obviously, this was like some tie-in with State Farm Insurance. Like, this is some kind of advert ad deal of some sort. I don't know what the All Elite Fleet what is. A weird way to advertise for your insurance company. We're going to get, I don't know, some contest winner to <laughs> do wrestling commentary on our behalf. Oh, like, it somebody was clearly who was not equipped for this role at all. So, like. He just felt like, you know, a really common person just trying to sit in with Jim Ross and Excalibur being like pressured to have to give any sort of insight in front of a a wrestling product that has the most critical fan base of, I think, any any sports that are out there. So this poor gentleman, Marco Solis, oh, Martinez, man, rest in peace. You're in box. Yeah, um, it's just it's just a poor decision to put this guy in this role. Thankfully, it was only for a match. Uh, with Justin Roberts injured, Dasha Gonzalez, the former uh, Dasha Fuentes, is our announcer for the evening. I thought she sounded great. Yep. You know, it kind of sucked that, like, Justin Roberts in his own hometown didn't, you know, call or, or announce the show. But, uh, you know, like, Dasha sounded really good. The best friends come out, Orange Cassidy's in a turkey suit, but they get jumped by the Lucha Brothers. And then Trent and Chuck Taylor fight back. Cassidy dove off the top, and that takes us into our tag match between the Lucha Bros and the best friends. And this included Excalibur with the following call that Pentagon caught Trent right in the perineum. Ooh. Jim Ross asked, what is that? I, I don't know if the perineum has ever been identified before by a wrestling announcer. You know, that's I would say maybe that's a, a new level of psychology, a new level of body part um, working. Isolate a body part. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Joey Ryan, get to work. <laughs> After that. Uh, we continued where Chuck Taylor rolled into a half crab on Pentagon. Phoenix super kick to break that up. Uh, overhead suplex sends Phoenix into Penta in the corner. And then a Topicon hero to the floor by Chuck Taylor. Pentagon comes back with a Canadian destroyer on Trent. Then goes after Cassidy as Tyler, uh, or sorry, as, uh, Chuck Taylor dives off the steps on the floor. Phoenix then hit a somersault that gets caught by Trent, who turns it into the crunchy. And Trent pins 
Phoenix. Yeah, they're giving Trent a push. And of course, this sets up uh, Trent versus Phoenix in a singles match for next week. But um, this, I believe they said this is the second time Trent pin- pinned one of the Lucha Brothers. Or did he pin Phoenix last week too? Forget. It's something, something. It was like, it, it's part of a, a role that the man's been having. So I really like the hot start this match had. Um, I don't know if it was because of the commercial or if, because maybe it was just the action, but I, I, I didn't really feel like it, it was all that memorable by the end of the show. Uh, and maybe I was a little fixated too much on the Allstate fleet guy as well. Well, he then thanked them for uh, having him on and he got up to leave. And then we throw to a video uh, package as Martinez is still thanking them as B Priestley's video starts there. He was really grateful to be there. Uh, you could tell, um, you know, so grateful that I, he was almost speechless, I think. Um, yeah, no, it was weird. It was really strange. B. Priestley and Emi Sakura versus Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander making her debut on Dynamite itself. Uh, they mentioned Shida is 4-1 and one and she is now number one uh, in the rankings. Uh, Statlander did this backflip off the apron onto Priestley on the floor and then Sakura uh, sits down as Shida sets up the chair on the floor. So she sits down on the chair like it's musical chairs when she goes to jump off of it. And they get the advantage on Shida. They go through the break. Uh, Bryce removes Emi Sakura's microphone stand to the floor. And what a stat this was. Emi Sakura's pro wrestling debut was 10 days after Chris Statlander was born. Oh, wow. What year was that? Um, I don't know what year that was. They kept stopping Shida, who then hit a flying knee to Priestley, tagged in Statlander, who delivered knee strikes to Sakura in the corner, and there was an Oklahoma roll for a two-count. Sakura then missed a moonsault press off the top. Shida then hits a knee to the back of the head, and then uh, Statlander comes in with another knee. There's a face buster off Statlander's shoulder, scissors kick for a two-count, and then a Michinoku driver. Priestley breaks that up, and the finish comes as the microphone stand returns and Statlander gets hit in the back with the microphone stand. Sakura is still the legal woman. So she comes into the ring and pins her with the Mahistral cradle, where I think we had gotten confused about who was legal and who was not here at the end. But uh, that's where we get the microphone stand leading to the Mahistral cradle. Who was not legal in the finish? No, it was the the proper legal people were involved in the finish. But when it happened, Sakura was legal, but she was on the apron as though she wasn't, and and Priestley was in the ring. Okay. So it's just kind of confusing, because then she just gets into the ring and did the cover. So the, the right people were involved in the finish. I see, I see. Uh, Cage Match has Amy Sakura's debut as uh, 1995. So, wow. Wow. I so thought... That, that makes Statlander 24. Yeah, yeah. Which makes us a lot older than that. Old. <laughs> I thought Emi Sakura was able to showcase a lot more like consistent heel personality in this match than I thought previous. It seems like they are still keeping her, you know, principal character in this division despite having already lost the match with uh, Riho. Um, I found this to be more of a showcase match for Statlander. I thought she looked really good for the time that she was in, uh, even more so than you know Shida, who looks looks good, but I don't think really stood out to me here. Neither did B. Priestley. I personally felt the match went a little bit long, and I think that's because of the similar critiques that I still have about the AEW women's division, that we know absolutely nothing about any of these women. 
Um, so I can only devote so much attention to these matches, you know, and, and, and we're talking about like a division where they still continue to add new faces when they have so many names that are still underexposed, you know, they brought, they, they debuted, uh, Statlander, uh, uh, sorry, what was her first name? Chris, Chris Statlander here. But like, to me, she just like, you know, adds to like the pile of very generic faces that, that we have with Shanna with like Jamie Hayter, you know? Big Swole's down there, but she hasn't made her debut yet. Um, Alia would have classified in that same department until perhaps what we got later on with her. But I just, I don't really know anybody before they swap them out so that I have more people that I need to get to know before I care. Yeah, I really think they need to do that right now with, with Hikaru Shida and do kind of like uh, like an in-depth profile on on her. And like moving to the U.S., like there, there's a mm. great story there, and she appears to be like your contender that you're moving forward with for Riho. So I, instead of trying to get everybody over, like isolate your one or two people in addition to Rio, and really try and get those people across, and then you can start to uh, showcase others. But it, yeah. it's very difficult when you're trying to just give um, time to everybody. And trying to get everybody across at the same time, I would just simply, okay, who's our priority? And let's go after that. Thing is, I think what you're suggesting, John, should be the bare minimum. They should at least be doing video packages for the next challenger in line for a championship match. Ideally, we look at, again, I hate to make these comparisons, but I have to because it's they're on the other network and they're fucking killing it with their women's division. Let's look at NXT where not only do you know everybody that's going on, they actually have storylines. And everybody has, you know, an individual part that of, of how they might fit into that particular storyline with their own tone of voice, with their own just like uh, style. It, it's just it really does shine a light on, on, I think, that disparity when you have just on the other channel such a much more developed women's division. John Moxley did a promo. He's going to continue to move forward with every scar. He is napalm death. And eventually you're going to get it. He asks if there's anyone else there out there that's going to try and get him before Moxley gets them and challenges anyone to step up and be a hero. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess he would challenge somebody else by the end of this show. I was worried he was in like the, like the, um, the dark, like boiler room area. I thought this guy might need a gas mask for all these fumes that could be flying around down there. Oh, very dangerous. Yeah. Um, what city did or he maybe in, uh, like maybe get some kind of a shot to treat himself if he get, catches anything? There was that, yeah. What city was he insulting about the smells? Wasn't it L.A.? Oh, okay. I think it was Something L.A. Like that would have been awesome if it was Chicago. Cody comes out. He's wearing stupid, his gear. <laughs> what a stupid period! Was that this year? That was a year ago. That was like right around this time last year. Oh my god! I remember it because. Rollins and Moxley had that T they had their match. That was the TLC pay-per-view where they had that match that just sucked. Right. Yeah, it was at the climax of that feud. <laughs> Cody is out in his gear and he is going to be taking on marvelous Matt Nix of freelance wrestling. And I thought this was a really interesting test in the sense that you're doing a squash match, but you're doing it with, arguably your top guy. And if this does well, numbers wise, I think it's a great sign for, for both companies because it would tell me that you can do a squash match, but if it's with a big enough star, it's going to at, 
at least retain your audience, maybe even grow it because people want to see Cody's first match back here. And if that works, it allows you to kind of create these tiers of different matches you can do. Like Cody can be in a six man, but he can also do singles matches that are not against top names. And then you're not going to wear out matches that we, there's a big problem of that in WWE that they just run the combinations to the ground that you could do a squash match every now and then, or someone just of lesser talent. And then it makes the, the name versus name matches more rare and thus more important. I absolutely agree with you. I, I think not only like, even if the numbers aren't great, I mean, unless they absolutely collapse and fail, then okay, maybe you can't do this. But even if they're just okay, like I feel you should still do this because you quite frankly have to, you know, especially if you're a company that charges $50 for these pay-per-views, you can't just be giving out those similar matches on TV every single week because you're not going to give people incentive to, you know, see your pay-per-views as, as anything that much more special. I think we even see an example of this, obviously, in the main event of this particular show with Chris Jericho versus Scorpio Sky. Not a match that you would, you know, save for a pay-per-view, but still of a pretty high caliber if you can create, you know, proper creative for it to get people's interest up there so that you're not burning out your potential pay-per-view main events. So the match begins and we get on national television a very audible freelance wrestling chant. And this was not just a few people doing this either. I mean, it is Chicago. Yeah, like this was like a really smart utilization of uh, of like Matt Nix, who to, to this audience in this area knows. And I thought it came off really well. Excalibur explained why Cody is still in the rankings despite not being able to wrestle for the championship. And he's giving like, like explaining it like uh, sports teams. And Jim Ross just <laughs> cuts him off. He says, that's the minority. That's just overthinking everything. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I, I like Jim Ross when he just shut up like, and enough with it. the bullshit. Yeah. This is how it is, folks. Yeah. Cody hit an os cutter, threw away his weight belt, figure four, and submits Matt Nix. Very simple. Very this quick. Was like a minute or so. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this crowd went crazy for it. That dent in his head is atrocious. oh god god like that is going to be there for like that scar is like maybe in time it's going to lessen but man that that night is going to be etched in his forehead forever i mean the wrestling fan in me like can only think about just the great promo 10 years later when it's like cody versus mjf and you know he just points to that scar it's a daily reminder so, you know, just like with Brock and Kane. Yeah, I was going to say maybe maybe 10 years from now, um, MJF will come back and they'll have a match in Saudi Arabia. Oh, you think that's where it'll take place? Um, possible. So there's a huge chant for Cody and he calls out MJF saying, we can do this now. And then emerging from under the ring... The Blade and The Butcher. We get the AEW debuts of Pepper Parks and Andy Williams, and they beat the hell out of Cody, and they're followed by The Bunny, Allie. And Cody is left laying, and I mean, it was very clear here. Uh, Jim Ross did, did not know who these people were, um, as Excalibur is explaining who they are, and... That was how the segment ended. 
Um, I didn't think this debut got over very strong. I don't think the people in the audience knew who these two were either. Um, Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the sacrifice you make when you're debuting a lesser known act as, you know, some people will remember Pepper Parks from Impact, but even that, it's been been some time since he was there and not – you know, not at a time when Impact was on Spike TV either. And, and not you as, know, for those... Not with this look, not with this character either. Right? Yeah. So... I th- think... But fans in Buffalo or fans of... Uh, Toronto? Uh, yeah, they they would Smash. absolutely know these two. Or if you're a fan of Every Time I Die. Though those people were going crazy, I bet. I bet. Andy Williams. I bet. I bet. Yeah. I, unfortunately, you know, they they were not quite well known enough for a spot like this. At a time, I think, when the audience wanted to see a direct continuation of the MJF story rather than this aside with these unknown characters. So by the end, it just seemed like you were left with a bit of confusion and and disappointment. Perhaps a better time for something like this would have been in a particular area where these two would have been a bit more well-known. But I didn't hate it. I think these two have such a great look. Uh, and I certainly think it's a big improvement for Allie, who I, like I said, I would have grouped into just sort of like a generic mass of like women in that women's division without any identity. I think this at least gives her something. Uh, much of it, I think, will have to come down to their promos and their treatment following this angle because, I mean, it's a strong introduction. I mean, they're putting these two against arguably the biggest star in the company. So it's a big spotlight on them. I think it, it, it requires a great deal of follow up and a real effort in helping introduce who these who these three are um i almost wonder if like it would have been better to have ali make her appearance first but even then i don't i don't really know if ali is like that big of a a big enough star to even you know elicit that drastically of of a different reaction than what we got here so maybe a a bit of an ill ill ill-designed spot unfortunately but i i think you could salvage it in the follow-up what do you think about this addition to what is already an enormous tag division um of putting these two in my my first reaction is that i i think you do need like kind of a like andy williams i think is what especially like here's a big dude that can be a a base for a lot of these guys and if you've seen him like in blood sport like you can see he can do a very different style as well pepper parks is a very very seasoned performer as well so i'm kind of curious to see how they blend because this is talent wise an extremely deep tag division so you need to really be able to stand out i mean i like them i i I really do it seems like though they're i mean unless they do like a cody tag team match with somebody else i i i suppose i'm a little surprised perhaps at at this certain direction right now i i think good tag teams are always welcome i don't think you can never have enough um but i am a little bit concerned at perhaps you know how you would frame these characters especially apart from how the dark order have been uh, portrayed thus far. I would say in terms of um, maybe tone, those two things could be very similar. So how would they keep those two separate or, or do you join them all? Yeah. It's like this roster. It's, it's starting to get really big. Like we talk about it with the women's division, but I mean, they have tons of tag wrestlers and I mean, even look like at a Jack Evans and Angelico who, are very rarely on dynamite and you've only got so much time that you can feature all these people. So if you're going to dedicate uh, time now each week to Cody feuding with, with this team, it means less time for others as well. So you're starting to see this, this roster grow and grow. And it largely is a two hour program. If you're 
discounting dark. Thing is, I feel like wrestling fans always demand for something new and fresh, right? So inevitably, I think they're they're going to have to keep adding new people. Um, I I really do wonder if this would have been better had they you know given a similar treatment to them as as they did to Wardlow, somebody who is just as I would say even maybe even more so. Um, kind of unknown yet with really cool looking videos leading up to it you will automatically create that anticipation and therefore you aren't just left with like confusion that i sensed from the chicago crowd mainly after this so after cody was laid out we went to pack versus kenny omega and i thought these two had a great match just um you know they just had a sprint essentially for mm-hmm. the the entire time they were out there and it was omega it was all omega at the beginning he was able to uh just be one step ahead of pack at each turn he nailed him with this snapdragon after pack had blocked the kataro crusher they go to the floor they announce next week uh, it'll be ray phoenix versus trent Beretta in champaign illinois cool i maybe next week they're going to call it uh Sparkling Wine, Illinois. <laughs> so that would have been a perfect Omega, to introduce the... Uh... Oh, they have to do some tie-in next week. Absolutely. Omega grabs the tights of of Pack, pulls them towards him, and then another Snapdragon. And then they tease the German way off of the apron to the floor, but they didn't do it. But on the other show, they did. I don't know if you saw the clip, John. Um, oh, God, they Akira, did it? Akira Tozawa, Leo Rush, that exact spot. Oh, did they in, listen to our show last night? Oh, they must have. Both both these shows, uh, AEW and like, NXT. We'll show them. <laughs> I'm sick of AJ and Petey Williams getting the credit for being the yeah. guys who like lost their minds to do this spot. We'll do it. Oh, I'll have to watch that later and cringe. Man, did they have any foilies over the barricades, though? I, was... I haven't seen the whole show yet, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm I'm desperately trying to own that thing before I can get uh, destroyed tomorrow on Twitter. This is totally my... Uh, my plan. Oh, it's okay. Come on. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Omega, after the break, hit this giant teep kick that fired Pack into the corner. Then Pack hit a falcon arrow off of the top, misses with the black arrow, flying V-trigger. The one-winged angel gets countered. And then Omega goes for a crucifix. Pack kicks out, but Omega holds on to the hold and keeps it, and he hooks the leg on the final count to get the pinfall. Like, a very... Um, I, I thought it really worked for the finish. I liked it because it was different. Mm-hmm. And just, it, to me, it like it educates you to be watching for even, like, elementary holds that can catch someone. I thought this match was great. I thought this was a really, really great performance from both. Uh, Kenny Omega was just tremendous in this, and... Uh, I, I just really, really like this match. This is my favorite match on the show. I agree with you. I thought this was a really excellent TV match. You know, uh, I also found perhaps the layout of it pretty interesting. They did not rely on any false finishes. It was just a very athletic, very fast and snappy Kenny Omega singles match. So I, I still find myself like perhaps getting a little bit used to seeing Kenny in a TV format because I think we're also used to seeing him, you know, wrestle in like essentially like a New Japan especially when it's a singles match, like a lengthy New Japan 20-minute-plus match. Uh, but here, like, we're starting to see him... I mean, this probably went to, what, also 20 minutes as well? 15? 
10. Yeah, it, it's, it's really tough because every single match is broken up by uh, commercial breaks. So that coupled with my, my current ongoing crisis with uh, my stopwatch, I don't have times tonight, everybody. But, but I mean, I think we're getting to see perhaps a slightly different Kenny, and it's, it, it's, it's obviously not going to be the emotional height that you might get in some of his big matches uh, for the IWGP title. But I think for a TV match, they are excellent. So it seems like they're just starting to build Kenny back up. Starting with uh, him avenging his loss over Pac. MJF did an insert promo ahead of his match with Hangman Page saying that the diamond ring they're fighting for cost $45,000 and he called Hangman Page a white trash inbred hick and the ring belongs on someone like him and not Page. Page countered by saying he needs a big win. He's not a ring guy. So when he wins, he'll give it to MJF. By shoving it up his ass. Ooh. Um, yeah. It's like a jackass stunt. Put, like, the ring in a balloon or something and make MJF swallow it. Ew. Yep. Um, $45,000, though? That'd be really an expensive stunt. Maybe. (laughs) Don't give this ring to Chris Jericho. What? Why? Could lose it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I had to dig back for, Remember that? for that, that reference. Yeah. That was our contra- That was like 8,000 controversies ago. <laughs> yes. The, yeah. the lost missing belt oh, yeah, that lot, was recovered. A lot happened in like five weeks. MJF, Hangman Page. We got Wardlow out there with MJF, and he stood in front to block a dive from Page early on. Uh, during the break, Wardlow attacked Page, so MJF's got the advantage. There's a clothesline and suicide dive by Page. Crowds chanting cowboy shit as he does the moonsault off the top, but he's favoring his left arm. And then MJF grabs referee refs, R- Bryce Remsburg by the shirt to block the buckshot lariat. Jim Ross calls for a disqualification, but Bryce is much more liberal. There's an eye poke delivered to MJ, uh, by MJF, and then a discus lariat from Page for a two-count. He hits the buckshot lariat, but Wardlow puts MJF's foot onto the bottom rope, and then... With the referee's back turned, Wardlow drills Hangman and leads to the shittiest-looking crossroads by MJF that they called the Double Cross, which Ross Ross identified as ugly. And MJF wins the match and the $45,000 dynamite diamond ring. $45,000. How much do you think it it really costs? I have no idea. (laughs) I'd need Russell Oliver to yeah. con- uh, consult. Overall, I thought it was a good match. I I really enjoy Page's aggression. Ever since he lost to Chris Jericho, like it set him on sort of like a desperation course where it feels like he's treating every match from the get-go as if it's like a life-or-death situation. Uh, so I really like him. I think MJF commands this crowd just incredibly well. This was our first time seeing him work with Wardlow in his corner. And, I mean, at this point, Wardlow just pretty much plays your typical bodyguard on the floor who attacks when the ref is turned away nothing really groundbreaking at all i i would say though i thought the finish was really predictable uncreative and you know with that crossroads pretty poorly executed so i thought the result was pretty flat yeah i I thought the ending left a lot to be desired um you know you already had the the spot with bryce remsburg where it's like the guy's putting his hands on him which i i can accept that part where he's just blocking the buckshot lariat but then it's like we go right into bryce having to turn his back for the requisite shot from the floor from wardlow 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just not that much creativity. And yeah, it was just, it just yeah, it's just this whole ring thing. It just feels I don't know, like just kind of came out of nowhere. Like there was nothing, no real big stakes here attached to the, this ring deal, other than it's a gimmick for MJF. Um, I will say maybe Hangman Page. Maybe we got to go with a more unconventional storyline. Do you think uh, maybe he's got a drug problem? Um, and that can explain this uh, the, this this losing streak that he got the injury and drug problem. Yeah, okay, he's gone down this dark hole. He's I know. His friends. I know you're making a reference to something. I have no idea. What. I'm not making a reference to anything. I'm making oh, just a, like I'm just totally making a. You know, this is if you watch like that being the elite where he goes home, he's left all his friends, he's turned the photo around. This is a guy who's got he's he's battling his problems. Are you seriously suggesting like like a drug storyline with Page? Where are we going with Hangman Page? Oh. Um I mean I would I would have suggested heel turn. And I, I do feel like that's still the ultimate goal, but of course, you know, the, there's always a tease of whatever's happening with Marty Squirrel uh down the line. I mean, as it exists, I mean, clearly he's telling some type of, you know, being frustrated, losing streak type of type of story. You know what they should have done? Okay, this is it. Okay, I, I, he, I knew did, you were supposed to do something. Okay, I wasn't. This is just this is just coming to me. Wardlow's down there. Okay, he's he's causing a big shitstorm, and DDP runs down, and he goes to fight off Wardlow. And again, Hangman's he's like draped through the ropes, and instead of Wardlow nailing him. As Page goes after Wardlow, he accidentally nails Hangman, and we get the same finish. And then Hangman is just furious, and he goes up, he gets the microphone, and he slaps DDP. Says, "Thanks a lot, Dad." <laughs> oh God! I knew you were trying to look for something with Page and Page. Yes, um, great. Ah, please. That would that'd make a whole lot of sense. So uh, would he be – he wouldn't be – And then he, he, need, he needs a motivational speaker to lift him out of this slump. So he wouldn't be uh, Kimberly's son, would he? He'd be too old to be Kimberly's son. Like did, was, was DDP married or he must have had like a tryst somewhere in some town, some affair. Okay, let's, let's do the math here, okay? So Hangman Page, if I'm guessing off the top of my head, is 27 years old. Am I right? Yeah. 28 years old. So where's that he, would where's be... Where's he from? He's from Virginia. Okay. So when he was born, DDP was in WCW. So, you know, he could have been... He's on the road. In Virginia, yeah. In Virginia, lonely in Virginia, and gave birth to the hangman. Or helped, helped in that regard. I love it. Book it. And then he gets on DDPY, and then suddenly the winning streak starts. Uh, yeah. And this is where it all ties in. He kicks the drug problem by being in the accountability crib, and then he starts to get in phenomenal shape. His flexibility is through the roof, and father and son conquer AEW. 12 months uh. of booking in the last three minutes. You know, I, I think that would potentially be the greatest story ever told. I'm just saying. It could be 
We're, we we got to go somewhere with Hangman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they have a direction, but um, maybe it's just not time to execute right now. It, it's, I mean, they, they haven't necessarily made, I guess they did. Excalibur mentioned that Paige quit the elite in commentary right now. Um, but uh, it doesn't necessarily, at least on this episode, doesn't seem to be, you know, uh, a main storyline of the show. So I think your idea has has a chance. <laughs> yeah, it has a chance. Uh, DDP then comes out. Huge reaction for him. He's there to present the ring. The crowd's chanting asshole at MJF. Page calls MJF's actions disappointing. And what was hilarious here is he put his hand onto MJF's shoulder as he's wearing his WWE Hall of Fame ring. 45000 I don't know. I wonder what those are valued at. He said he is the bigger man, and he's going to congratulate MJF like a man, and he offers his hand, but MJF rolls it up. He doesn't want to shake hands with Paige. So Paige grabs him. Wardlow steps in, and Paige says, you're going to look stupid getting beat up by a 63-year-old man, and security had to separate them. I thought Wardlow was going to kill this guy, but they just separated them, and that was the end of this segment. I don't know what this uh, leads up to, but they didn't. Part of me was kind of glad that you didn't do the segment where you just killed Paige and left him laying here um, because he's kind of been put together. He's like Cody's mentor. He's like one of their few legends that they have um, that I think they want to you know, preserve and, and treat like respectfully. And if you're going to do an angle, it should be a very, very rare occasion. But, but why have also here at I, all? I, I don't know. I, there's no part of me that wants to see DDP take on Wardlow or MJF. That me I neither. Can guarantee you. Oh, me neither. Me neither. I really wasn't sure by the end, end of this whole thing what the whole point of this diamond ring deal was. Because um, I, I felt like it was all leading up to this segment of DDP giving the presentation and then something happening coming out of it. But we just had a pretty straight up presentation with a really weak pull apart. And that was it. I, I mean, think he's going to use that ring to punch Cody and cut him open again. Like all that just so that he could get a new weapon? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Like the the ending of this didn't necessarily generate that much heat in my opinion. It, it's it's not like MJF did anything that drastic to DDP. Uh, in fact, I, I think it just more so made, you, made the audience want to see DDP in some sort of match. Or at least that was the tease. That's how I took it. Yeah, so, well, Wardlow's got his legends lined up between Billy Gunn and DDP. And no Billy Gunn on this show. No, so what the What the hell was that for? I don't know. My defense was uh, not really backed up this week. Yeah. I I actually found myself pretty pretty disappointed at, at, by the end, by, by both the match and this, this ring presentation. I mean... Jen I, Decker... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, unless they do something to follow up uh, next week, but I feel like if you're going to do anything, it would have been in this segment. But anyway... Yeah, we'll see. Jen Decker interviewed Dustin Rhodes in the ring. Said how Jake Hager broke his arm and he's out for blood. He's not the same man, or said Hager is not the same man that he used to be as he puts his hand on his chest. And then the inner circle came in. They attacked him. It's three on one with Santana, Ortiz, and Guevara until the Young Bucks came out to save and included a triple super kick. I don't know if you could label Dustin's a super kick, but it was a kick. It was a big boot. Yeah. Yeah. And then they did a triple Shattered Dreams with Matt, Nick, and and uh, Dustin delivering them to the inner circle. Mm-hmm. 
It's fine. And sets up a six-man for next week. Yeah. And probably at some point, a big match with Dustin Rhodes getting murdered by Jake Hager. Very likely. But they both have nut shots as their finishers. Oh, yeah, you're right. We could have, have our first perennium match. The perennium contenders, Dustin Rhodes and yes. Jake Hager. Yes. Another Dark Order video aired. Now the guy that got bullied on the subway has made his way to a meeting. And he's sitting there in this cult as the leader is delivering a speech how they could be anyone, a politician, a teacher, or taking care of your child with just this frightening-looking woman smiling into the camera. I, I thought this week uh, – I can't say like this video was all that different in tone than last week, but I seem to be – I was much more receptive to this week's. I feel like this week was slightly less corny, you know, maybe just a slightly better production perhaps. Who was the guy that was talking that was – that had his head like cut off by the frame? Like was that Evil Uno? Uh, Stu Grayson was there, and I'm yeah. assuming the one that was cut off was Evil Uno. Yeah. So the person at the podium was actually Evil Uno speaking. No, no, no. That was the the guy who was speaking in the video last week. I thought. No, last week was the the gentleman. Last week was a much slimmer man. Okay, then I'm mistaken. I I didn't. Cause like, why did they you know not show his face here? So. I could have sworn in this video they did show the guy's face that was at – I think two people spoke at the podium, didn't they? I really should have paid more Perhaps. attention to this. This is one of those where we're just going to get bombarded, so okay, I, I hesitate to even keep talking. I only ask if, if that was supposed to be evil Uno because I didn't necessarily see him. Otherwise. The one whose face was cut off, yes, but I think there was someone else in there too. There may have been a third. I think they have a spokesperson. Okay. We'll have to rewatch it. It's the dark order. It's hard to see. Um <laughs> Chris Jericho, Scorpio Sky, they announced a 60-minute time limit, and if they went off the air, it would be up on YouTube. So uh, pretty big reception, I would say, especially for Chris Jericho. Uh, the match starts off, and it's Scorpio Sky just showing a lot of fire, going after Jericho, Jericho selling for him and retreating. Uh, they went through the commercial break, which is when Jericho got the heat by throwing him into the steps. or Sorry, when he uh, – it was Sky that uh, – came over the top with a Piscato, landed on his on his feet, and then went after Jericho, and then was thrown into the steps. Uh, Sky then comes off the turnbuckle. He gets caught in the walls for a rope break, gets out of that. Jake Hager comes down, and this distraction leads to a roll-up by Jericho for a two-count. Hager's on the apron, prompting Daniels and Kazarian to run down, and they fought off Hager. Sky ducked a belt shot and hit a cutter onto... Jericho for a big near fall. At one point in the match, it was called the Ace Crusher, and Jim Ross has no time in this world for any Johnny Ace references. Uh, what's the beef there? Uh, he is not a fan of Johnny Ace. Oh. And he is multiple times, whenever he hears Ace Crusher, he is not a fan of that being the the lineage of that move. There's a flying Hurricane Rana delivered by Scorpio Sky. Step up in Saguri for a two count. And then Sky leaps off the buckle into a code breaker for a two count. The Judas effect gets countered with a backslide for a two count. And then Jericho catches an in Saguri and he is able to reapply the walls. And Scorpio Sky taps out. Jericho retains the title. We got the one big near fall here with the cutter. And that was the big near fall spot for Sky. But then Jericho gets the very clean submission one. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a good TV match. I thought it was pretty satisfying uh, in, in its near falls. It was not nearly as emotional of a match as I thought it would be. I thought I would have been much more into Scorpio Sky's chase. And not that because I, I felt like, you know, the man had any chance of winning, but just more so I felt like I would have been a lot more into his story, especially after the great job they did with him last week, cutting that promo, talking about how this match was going to be the culmination of 15 years or however long he's been wrestling. And I was disappointed by the time that this match got around that they never really expanded on that throughout this episode. You know, I want to see what he had to struggle through in order to get to this point. How did he get here in 15 15 years um that to me because i knew he was never going to win this match i thought the value he would have reaped from it was that story that chase and of course you know you only have two hours on a show where you don't have that much to you know that much room to give anyway um this is somewhat of a rushed build to this particular match so you can't really do that much but i expected something because by the time this match rolled around I didn't necessarily find myself that excited for Scorpio Sky's chase. I just kind of saw it as, you know, another just uh, another number for Chris Jericho. I I thought that it was like to me. I don't know if this belonged on the same show as that opening segment. I think that these could have been on separate weeks. Both were fine, but to me, um, I, I really think Scorpio Sky number one. He needed to be the focus of these two hours leading up to this match. Yes. He needed at least a promo, if not constant, like, we're going to break. Here's a, an update where he's in his locker room and he's mm-hmm. preparing and everything. This is the AEW title being defended on TV, and that needs to be presented as that's a major deal. That and does not happen every week. More importantly, it's the most important moment in this man's life. Yes, and he should have been the focus of this entire show. And you're right. There's just – there's a lot – that they're getting across on this show. But to me, this should have trumped that. And if that meant the Chris Jericho, thank you. um, Maybe that should have been next week that after he defends his title, then he gets a big thank you next week. And that could have opened the show. The champagne introducing the champagne and champagne, the champagne and champagne. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they needed to promote this as a big show and I suppose they really felt black Friday sale necessitated that they got to get the champagne out today, I guess. (laughs) Perhaps. Um, it just feel, felt like this show, like there was a lot crammed into this show. And by the end of it, like the Scorpio Sky thing, I really liked the build the last couple of weeks, pinning Jericho, the setup last week. And yeah, it, j- it just felt like the way it ended. It was um, like there's sometimes you watch this and you're like, wow, that Scorpio Sky has even in losing elevated himself. I kind of feel Scorpio Sky, this run since Dynamite has started, he has elevated himself, but I don't think that this particular match puts him um, further ahead than where he was coming in. I agree with that. So that was the that was the show, and it ended with Jericho reapplying the walls, and then John Moxley entered through the crowd, and that's how we ended the show, intimating that Jericho Moxley will be the next title program. He could finally avenge Mitch, the potted plant. Oh, wow. Finally. Yeah. Long-term storytelling. I thought Dynamite overall was, again, a very fast-moving show. Uh, I, I enjoyed the two hours. I, I I suppose maybe I had worked myself up to think that it would be perhaps, you know, a more, a bigger show than I really got out of it by the end. I thought there were some decent TV-level matches, but nothing, I would say, on this show, perhaps with the exception of pa- Pac versus Omega... 
Uh, and maybe Jericho Sky, but even then, I'm sort of on the fence. Nothing really felt to me like it was must-see other than that excellent opening segment. So that's kind of where I was at with it by the end. I'd say the opening segment and Pac and Kenny Omega, I would certainly recommend those if you are just cherry-picking what to watch from Dynamite because I, I thought both were excellent for what they were. And I had really high hopes for MJF versus Page, but to me, that that never really kind of, you know... At least, like, I expected a big angle coming out of the match, even if the match wasn't that great. I thought the angle was really just nothing. And, again, I was a little bit disappointed by, I think, the lack of, you know, um, greater build for Scorpio Sky coming out of this show. All right, let us go to the forum. forum Forum.postwrestling.com. Tonight's show, on a scale of 1 to 10, let us see what everyone had to vote. A 7.5 for tonight's AEW Dynamite. We start off with Mark, who writes, happy to see Chris Statlander being given additional shots with AEW. She's going to be a star, and hopefully it's with AEW. Most of all, I was very happy to see The Butcher and The Blade get a spotlight like they did here. They've been doing tremendous work on the indies over the last year and certainly deserve the opportunity. Go to Paul from New Jersey, who says, I'm watching Virgil kick off a major primetime wrestling TV show, and I'm loving it. Wrestling is magical. I enjoyed everybody in this segment. The only thing that was missing was Melanie Parsons. But as a lifelong New York, <laughs> you know that that would have been too much comedy though. If if they Who? like that that was Scorpio Sky's crush from his uh, oh. from his high school. That oh. she would she would have been there in the front row cheering him on. Oh my god, that would have been yeah something. <laughs> but as a lifelong New York Rangers fan, I endorse this opener. It's been quite a rocky week for wrestling commentators. I'm pretty sure Jim Ross called Trent Taven, which happens. Yeah, I think I heard that too. Uh, but I would probably refrain from calling. Asian people orientals. Did he do that on this show? I di- I didn't catch that. I didn't notice that. I I noticed at one point where he said, um, you know, like well, the Asian this wrestlers. Is a bit, yeah, the Asian I, I, wrestlers. yeah. I definitely heard him say refer to the Asian wrestlers. The Asian wrestlers don't. Uh, some of these Asian wrestlers don't speak English. Like I'm paraphrasing, but I I took no offense to what he said. I d- I didn't you know, it, honestly like at this point. Um, <laughs> I don't sense that even if he did say oriental like he would he means any offense by it it's although this would be a second or a third time that, that i feel like this it would have happened so maybe that would be less excusable but i i personally didn't really catch it on this show paul uh, he says on a more positive note is there talent pre-aew that you weren't very very familiar with who you really enjoy watching for me it's a tie between sammy guevara and darby allen um I'd seen a fair amount of them, but certainly I think that Darby, Sammy Darby Gavo- Allen, absolutely for me. Right, yeah. Um, you know, he's he's if if you saw, I, I was really impressed with him, like back when he did that program with with uh, Ethan Page in Evolve. But to see the way he is connected uh, with with the with the audience, I I don't know if I would have expected it to this degree that he's been able to uh, stand out in that regard. So um, he he's been a a really notable breakout star here. Rory from Wilkesbury. What a great show. The crowd was hot all night long, making it feel like an even bigger show. All the matches were tremendous, especially Omega and Pac. The opening segment was excellent, and the crowd certainly played their part. I enjoyed the Dark Order promo as it helped give a better understanding of the tag team. Was hoping that Scorpio Sky won, but it was a great story with Jericho winning. The only problem I had was that the ring mic was too sensitive. During the women's tag, you could hear the referee walking through the ring while making the count. The footsteps in the ring sounded like... Boom whackers. 
Even Matt Nick's purple man bun hitting the ring as Cody was pinning him made a noise. Despite this minuscule problem, this show was amazing. Great job building up the women's division and men's division. I <laughs> I can't say I have any of those same um, observations. Um, hey, the ring microphone. It can be distracting if you're there live. I find it really fascinating. It's a, it's a, uh, if you if you agree with Rory, I'd love to to know it. Like. Interesting. We got Andre from Edmonton who says, I really thought tonight was a great night of wrestling. The opening segment was fun. Kenny and Pack had a killer match and the main event was great. In a little over 10 minutes, they had me believing that Scorpio Sky could take that title. What really caught my eye was the Dark Order video. I really like it. I think the Dark Order could be what Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family should have been. Thank you for all the great content. McGuire writes, uh, the Jericho stuff is still funny, but they are getting too cute with some of the humor. Uh, but are they getting too cute with some of the humor? I guess it doesn't matter as long as they're getting over. Uh, little bit of the 40 was great. I love that line, too. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like there were numerous microphone issues. There were echoes from the in-ring mics during the opening segment, and I can only assume Marco Martinez was supposed to be a prank. <laughs> I don't think he was supposed to be a prank. Like, I, I didn't know what this was, but it was such <laughs> a bizarre... That would be an amazing prank. We're going to put you on live TV in a in a setting that you're clearly not comfortable with <laughs> jesus uh and and you know mcguire here talking about the the same microphone issue so maybe you know maybe there's something to that i mean i thought for the promos like especially in that opening segment like just watching it i i thought it was a little challenging to be able to just hear everybody um emmy sakura is lame her freddie mercury character is confusing as it seems she wants to be cheered but she's made to play a heel role statlander looked good was I supposed to know who Butcher and the Blade are? I felt like Jerry Lawler for a second. It's nice they found something for Allie, though. Do you think they'll be connected to Brandy Rhodes and Awesome Kong? I mean, I, I had that initial thought, too, that if Allie was going to go after Cody, then, of course, Brandy might be close behind. But, I mean, as as we've seen thus far, like, Brandy has kept a very far distance from Cody ever since she's paired up with Awesome Kong. Certainly, like, I at this point, I don't. It's a natural connection you could make, but it just seems like it's it would be a bit bit of a leap for Brandy at this point because she's she's sort of doing her own thing. All right, let's keep going. Okay, we go to uh, uh, no one from Vaughn who says, "I know I may be in the minority, but I was so happy to see the Butcher and the Blade debut tonight. I saw them have an amazing match over SummerSlam weekend in Toronto against Aussie Open and Dark Order in front of like five hundred people." I'm so glad to see them on such a big stage like AEW. I love the main event with Scorpio fighting valiantly in defeat. And the Dark Order vignette was a huge highlight for me. 9 out of 10 show. Do you think they do Moxley versus Jericho on the cruise? Or wait until the next pay-per-view? That should be the pay-per-view. That should not be done on TV. Which is how far away? They haven't announced the pay-per-view yet. Right. Probably you would think... Uh, they, they've said first quarter. So I wouldn't do it in January... I would wait because you're looking at um, that. That just seems like really rushed at this point to be doing it uh, January. That would be, you know, you're coming back in like six, seven weeks. I, I would just wait. February, I think, would be an ideal time to do, which is interesting because you've got that one weekend in February where you have the first weekend of February is a big UFC pay-per-view because John Jones is fighting on February 8th. The next weekend, you have a takeover on a Sunday night, and would you want to do the Saturday of a takeover? I, I think you could. I don't think that would be the worst thing that you have. You run back-to-back nights, but 
Maybe you're looking at February. So two and a half months potentially for this build? Yeah, I think you should really wait on that match. Uh, I yeah. think you can build it up for a while. I I certainly would not do it on TV and not on the cruise. No. Right. Raphael from North Liberty. I attended the show live. I drove four hours to Chicago to see the show live, and it was well worth it. The highlights were Jericho Celebration, Omega versus Pac, and basically the whole show, my eight-year-old got a free T-shirt, and my three-year-old did the diamond the diamond symbol for a long time after DDP left. I even had Moxley no-sell me while getting in an Uber. It was awesome. For the lone low light, the crowd around me. They kept talking about how great of a crowd Chicago is while shitting on everything. Nine out of ten from me. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> well, it's uh, they've got a high standard, I guess. But I'm glad you had a fun time. I'm sure this was a real fun show to go to live. The crowd sounded you know, great, as do most of these Dynamite episodes. Alexander from Portland. Awesome show as usual. Just a few questions. First, any idea the cause oh, of the audio issues for both this episode and AEW Dark yesterday? I read Did you some- see Dark? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet either. Uh, I read somewhere that we heard the audio of replays, but they would never showed on screen. Secondly, I-, I have no idea what the audio issues were. It- like, I-, I only speak for myself, but like in the-, the feed that I was watching, I noticed nothing out of the ordinary. So... Um, but I, I, obviously you're not the only person to complain about it, Alex, Alexander from Portland. Uh, but yeah, maybe tomorrow we'll get more, uh, information about that. Secondly, there's no way you could have understood what Santana was saying. It was just, it was way too. (laughs) (laughs) Please go easy on him. Everybody. The feedback's saving me. The feedback's backing me up. I, I think these people got my back. Hagaki. This is one of those times where we can reflect on it. On if or how the live crowd impacts our home viewing of the show. The reaction to Butcher, Blade, and Bunny came across dull on TV, but I still thought it was cool, and I'm seeing lots of love for it on Twitter. Still intrigued with the Dark Order as well. I mean, um, you're talking about the difference between a like a wide audience. Like, if you're hearing from people that are reacting well on Twitter, it's because they know who these people are. People in Chicago, a lot of them simply don't. So... I think that's the difference. You know, don't necessarily take the the people that are co- complimenting it on Twitter as sort of like the representation of how everybody feels. Because I would say if you don't know who they are, you're either not commentating or maybe you're commentating asking who they are. Yeah. And, you know, I thought they were put in a tough spot because these are not instantly identifiable individuals to most to most wrestling fans on a national wrestling show. And it was similar to when the dark order debuted. And if you're going to do that kind of surprise, look who's here debut. It's really tough when it's people that are, you know, not ex WWE people, not easily identifiable because that's what that spot is kind of reserved for is that Holy shit reaction. So, you know, you had to know that going in. I, but you know, you're also debuting them with a major program with Cody and sometimes you you do angles where it's like, yeah, it's not going to hit it out of the park on first glance, but we have big plans for these guys, which you would think they do if they're putting them with Cody. Mm-hmm. Your turn. It's my mind. turn. Uh, let's go to Brandon from Oshawa. I'm definitely in the minority, but I thought this show was very disappointing. I'll even go as far as saying I think I may have enjoyed Raw more this week. The women's tag match was the first time that I fast-forwarded during an episode of Dynamite. This division is just really, really bad right now, and they need to do some serious work. More promos to let us know who these people are and why we should give a shit about them. Standouts were the Dark Order and the Blade and Butcher debut, even though I'm not familiar with them. I'm glad to see Trent getting a little bit of a push. I think he's severely underrated. All right, okay. Alex says, 
Well, it's not a good show. I hate at the beginning. Virgil can barely talk properly. He says overall it was disappointing. And he says NXT, he's, he is sure was better. Okay, we go to Keyshawn. Enjoyed the episode. Jericho's celebration was on point, And Virgil eventually got the words out of his mouth. Moxley's promo is great. I don't understand how WWE didn't get it and thought Crazy Uncle Dean was a better character. Why is Ali dressed as Peter? That is a huge rose valet. Uh, women's tag match was good. Pack and Omega was match of the night. Title match was good. Thought it could have been better if they had a few more minutes. With Allen and now Sky, they've used Jericho to help build these guys with the audience. Smart and refreshing booking, and he gives us a 7 out of 10. Finally, we go to Evil, who says, The crowd was great. I thought it was a really fun show. I think Chris Statlander did enough to get her own entrance next time. I love the new direction for the Dark Order. I want to cheer for all evils. I love definite endings to matches. WWE programming still makes me think DQ finishes are coming, even though I should learn to trust AEW by now. Amy Sakura, Taichi, and Christopher Daniels should have a ladder match to decide who can use the mic stand gimmick. 8 out of 10 show. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your feedback. This was a uh, a mixed bag of an AEW Dynamite episode, which I, I think is some fair criticism in this, this week's episode. I think so, too. Yeah, which um, is really... Refreshing to see, I think, you know, like debate is always healthy. So um, we'll see how this stacks up against uh, NXT. So we're not going to get a number tomorrow, but if you had to guess, do you think uh, total viewers goes NXT's way again? Yes, I do, too. I do. Yeah, I do as well. Um, Do you see any difference of the pattern uh, that we saw last week where NXT still only wins one of the demos? Um I think that's going to be a tougher road for NXT is once you get into the demos that I'm still I'm still thinking we're going to get a similar pattern that we got last week. I think that golf is a little too wide right now for, you know, NXT to just overcome in one week. Um, Can they close the gap is is perhaps maybe a more interesting question. You know, I certainly within myself since since a bit more interest in NXT this week than than AEW. That said, I I also can understand that a lot of wrestling fans are, are creatures of habit. And, you know, if these DVRs are that, that Meltzer is talking about are to be believed, I think people are making time for both shows. It's just which one mm-hmm. they choose to watch first. And I still feel like a lot of people are choosing to watch AEW first. Uh, at least maybe the people that we're here from, um, just even judging by our own feedback threads, John, compared to like the NXT feedback threads. So, um I think in terms of overall, I'm going to say because they gave NXT such a strong push in Survivor Series, we see very similar numbers than, than what we did last week. Uh, but I, I think the, the demo, like the pri- primary demo ratings will probably be very much the same too. All right. Um, that's going to bring an end to Rewind to Dynamite. Wayne and I will be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, live for all of our cafe members with the Cafe Hangout. It is U.S. Thanksgiving, so I hope we hear from some of our American listeners uh, and viewers as well. So it will be open phone lines. Uh, We're interested in talking about all of the topics this week, so we'll make lots of time for phone calls. Uh, No ratings tomorrow, but um, maybe we'll go into uh, some of our plans way for the end of the year, because we are quickly getting to December. Maybe we will give everyone a sneak peek of uh, some of our year-end programming we have in store. Sure, yeah. Or anything else on your minds, happy to talk about any topic. Open phone lines tomorrow. All right. Um, 
Well, I will be. I'm sure we will watch NXT as well. We'll we'll talk about NXT on Thursday show as well. We will have some time to discuss that as well. And of course, store.postwrestling.com. The Black Friday sale is on now. Twenty five percent off everything using the code Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Great. Though after today's show, I knew I know a way better code <laughs> we could have used, but we'll save that one. We'll, we'll bank it for a future uh, sale down the road. A forty percent so, off sale, you mean? Yeah, that'll <laughs> the forty percent sale. That's awesome. All right, everybody. Good night. Goodbye. We'll speak with you Thursday, three o'clock.